Welcome back to A Bit of Fun with Emily. It's me, your host, Emily. I am glad you're here. So this is season two where we're talking about 80s and 90s kids movies we grew up loving and sometimes fearing and sometimes that made us cry horrible tears because it's very sad. Yes, today we are talking about The Iron Giant. Uh, You know, it was a hard one. It was hard this time around. It was hard when I first saw it. I did not, I, the lazy internet research was really interesting because I, I didn't realize um, that the director was also the director of The Incredibles and Incredibles 2 um, and some other incredible, like Ratatouille. He helped write some of those things. It just amazes me, this man's talent. He has some um, animation under his belt too. Just a great storyteller. Very excited to see what he comes at, comes out with next, Brad Bird. Uh, so, yeah, let's get into the lazy internet research. Nine-year-old Hogarth Hughes and his mother, Anna Hughes, both share a name with the British poet laureate who wrote the children's book the film is based on. So many animated films based on kids' books. Published in 1968, Ted Hughes penned The Iron Man to comfort his children after the suicide of his wife, Sylvia Plath. Very interesting. Before The Iron Man was reimagined as an animated children's film, it was adapted by The Who guitarist Peter Townsend into a solo concept album of the same name. The 1989 rock opera feature, with such tracks as Man Machines, A Friend is a Friend, and I Eat Heavy Metal... In the early 1990s, Townsend relaunched his musical concept as an onstage production. Uh, This attracted the attention of Warner Brothers, and the studio secured the rights with the intention of turning it into an animated musical. But Townsend's rock opera vision never did make it onto the big screen. After Brad Bird signed on to direct, he scrapped the musical numbers and reworked the script further removing the story from both the rock album and the children's book upon which it was based. Townsend remained credited as an executive producer. So he still got paid. So I guess that's something. Despite being considered one of America's last great traditional animated films, the Iron Giant's title character was created entirely with a computer. The creators took careful steps to make sure that the giant blended in seamlessly with the hand-drawn animated world and they even went so far as to develop a computer program to make the character's lines wobble slightly producing a crude hand-drawn effect before making a name for himself as an action star vin diesel provided his voice to the towering robot in the iron giant not counting groans and grunts the giant utters a grand total of 53 words in the entire movie just sets him up perfectly for groot When the giant looks over the hill at Rockwell, which is the town in Maine, um, and they named it Rockwell because they wanted it to be kind of Americana at its best, thinking a lot about Norman Rockwell and some other artists and authors of the time. There is a movie, Moving Star, near the moon on the right-hand side. This is meant to be Sputnik, so it's the time of the space race. Everything was on their mind, and we'll see a lot of that coming up here. Arnold Schwarzenegger, Tommy Lee Jones, Alec Baldwin, and Burt Reynolds were all considered for the role of Kent Mansley, who is the FBI agent, but it is voiced by Shooter McGavin. (laughs) I don't know his real name, from Happy Gilmore. So that's, you know, it's weird that he went out when all of these huge names uh, were up for it. But that's it for lazy internet research. It really is interesting to read more. I did find a few articles that talked about the making of the movie, um, how invested Brad Bird was in the project and how he would kind of change and manipulate things. It was really interesting to read about that computer technique of creating the giants and making the lines kind of wobbly and working hard to make it 
work seamlessly with the the truly drawn human drawn um, other artwork so fascinating stuff and it's such a sweet story heartbreaking but so very sweet um this also came out right around the same time as october sky which is another one of my favorite kind of space movies um about a, a young man who comes from a coal town who just becomes um obsessed with rocketry and and space and just it's interesting how there was kind of a theme at that in this year of of movies that came out about the space race very interesting but let's just dive into the spoiler filled walkthrough of the movie so we'll jump off of course with the exposition and the introduction of the conflict so off the coast of maine a ship in distress calls the coast guard for help there's one man on this boat which seems like a poor life choice. If I was going to go out and there was potentially a storm, I don't think I would go out alone. Um, so there is this storm and it's knocked him off course and he's saying mayday, mayday, and they keep asking him where he's at and he doesn't know because, you know, the rain and the wind and he sees what he thinks is the lighthouse. He's like, oh yeah, there's the lighthouse. But it turns out that there's an alien robot that has crashed into earth from space. So not a lighthouse. <laughs> Then we meet Hogarth, a precocious kid who really wants a pet. And so he's come into his this diner where his mother works. And he's like, hey, you know, reminds her again, hey, my mom want a pet. He's got a box next to him with obviously a live creature inside of it. And she says no. Um, and of course, of course, the, the creature, which is a squirrel, escapes kind of. Uh, just running around and he, he keeps it quiet at first um, and it ends up on the leg of a local who is taking this all pretty calmly which is nice his name is Dean a local kind of beatnik author art uh, not author artist <laughs> that um, Hogarth kind of immediately takes a liking to and while he's sitting with Dean begging him not to say anything and bring attention to the fact that he has a squirrel crawling up his pant leg. He overhears some locals laughing at the same sailor ranting about aliens from Mars. So this, this sailor has is safe. Um, he was put on shore by the, the robot and he called the government. So the government is aware that there could potentially be something weird going on in Maine. Well, Hogarth is pretty jazzed about visitors from Mars. So that night, after he hears something on top of his house, the, the TV antenna has been ripped off his house, he heads into the woods um, to see if he can find whatever made that noise. That's where he comes across the Iron Giants, a creature as tall as a skyscraper, about a, he keeps saying 100 foot tall, uh, who loves to eat metal and who makes his way to the power company. And he's eating kind of the the towers at the power company but accidentally gets tangled up in the wires um he's being electrocuted he knocks out the power to the entire town hogarth somehow manages to flip a switch uh to turn off the electricity which seemed way too easy way too easy for him to access and to to get that done I just, I don't think that should be a thing that anybody could walk up to a, a power tower and just flip a switch and, and knock off the power. But I don't know. I don't know how power stations work. So when the robot wakes up, Hogarth just takes off scared. He just starts running back through the woods. He ends up at home and his mom is pretty ticked that he was not at home where he was supposed to be. The next day, someone from the government shows up. So. 
Much like in the Monster Squad, you make one call to the government, they show up. Or one handwritten letter from a small child, they show up. Uh, He's skeptical. We're going to call him the Fed. He's skeptical until he gets back to his car after investigating the power plant, only to find that it has a, a bite out of the side of it. Not so skeptical anymore. And then it's that afternoon. Hogarth is out of school. He returns to the scene of the crime, looking for the giant metal creature, and manages to find him. They quickly become friends. The giant seems to trust Hogarth because he saw him flip the switch last night that saved his life. He actually kind of drops the switch at Hogarth's feet, uh, which is really kind of sweet. There's so many very sweet things between these two um, in this relationship. And then Hogarth, and he's, he's mimicking Hogarth the whole time. Like he's, he's learning, which is adorable as well. When Hogarth sits, he sits. When Hogarth stands, he stands as he points. And then Hogarth is trying to communicate with him and realizes that he, he doesn't speak English. And so he attempts to teach him how to talk. It's quite amusing. Uh, they go over rock and tree first, the two things, you know that are just surrounding them makes sense. And then he tells him that he has to go home. Hogarth's like, yeah, this is fun. I'll catch you later. I got to get home. My mom's going to be mad at me. She's already mad about last night. But his new friend doesn't seem to understand. So he starts to follow him, which leads to the giant causing a train accident. He sees the train tracks is like, hey, food. And he kind of grabs part of the track and he's about to eat it. And Hogarth is like, no, no, put it back, put it back. Then, of course, a train comes. Um, the giant doesn't get out of the way in the t- in time and causes an accident. So, which is which is pretty bad. No one appeared to be hurt, which is good. Uh, but Hogarth realizes, no, you know, he has got to hide this creature. This creature is not going to be safe. Um, so he starts to scramble to hide him. The Fed follows some clues at the crash site. So Hogarth hides him in the barn. I should point that out. His, the barn at his home. And the Fed follows some clues at the crash site and ends up at Hogarth's house. A couple things become immediately evident. One, the Fed is in the hunt for himself. He, there's some kind of other agenda. It seems as though something had happened in his past where he wasn't believed um, or kind of cried wolf. And so now he's got something to prove. And two, Hogarth is going to do whatever it takes to keep his new friend safe. So in this first part of the story, we get the introduction of all the main players. Hogarth, the boy who finds the giant, the iron giant, a visitor from outer space, the Fed who acts like just about every government agent in a movie ever and is ever fearful in 1957 with Sputnik flying overhead, and Dean, who we'll get to know more in a bit. You like Hogarth right off the bat. He's good-natured and compassionate and he's a bit of a loner he doesn't seem to have a lot of friends at school his desire to have a pet is just kind of endearing as well the giant doesn't have a lot of personality to start out with uh, but by the end of the exposition as he starts to talk more we see his affection for for hogarth and his curiosity about the world which is really sweet and in one particular scene where hogarth is showing him some comic books he he goes out to the barn after the fed has left and he's like i thought maybe you'd like a bedtime story and he brings him some comic books to look at and read to him um We also get a sneak peek of the giant fearful that he is a weapon. So there's one about atomic weaponry, and then he shows him Superman. Um, That idea will definitely come into play later. I wasn't left with too many questions or observations with the storytelling at the beginning, except for one very 
in my opinion, glaring problem, the fact that somehow a 100-foot robot that has very heavy steps and creaks like metal could manage to stay hidden in the main woods without any problem. How is that possible? It's not like he's off in the middle of nowhere. No, he's hovering right around town because he keeps eating people's trucks and and, and different power towers. How how is it possible that nobody has seen him? I mean, going back to, you know, Tuesday's conversation about ninjas, we have a ninja metal giant, apparently. And, you know, we're talking about a time, too, where there's not a lot of noise pollution. It has to be fairly quiet. There's not a ton of cars. I mean, there's the occasional train that goes by, apparently. But if you, you would hear something big moving around in the woods, right? Right? There's just no way. There's just no way this, this giant is, is staying hidden. I just don't believe it. So that is our exposition and intro to the, to the conflict. We've got the government breathing down the neck, um, trying to find this alien creature. And then you have the boy who's, who's trying to keep him safe. So rising action, the giant is hungry. <laughs> so Hogarth takes him to the local scrapyard because, you know, smorgasbord just so happens that the scrapyard is run by Dean. See, I told you he would come back into the story. After a bit of smooth talking, manipulation, and a giant dose of stubbornness, Hogarth convinces Dean to let the Iron Giant stay there where he can kind of eat and stay hidden. Again, he's not hidden. Uh, Maybe the idea is that he's just a giant piece of metal that will be laying in, in a field of giant metal. But he's obviously bigger than everything else. So this plan seems to have holes, but that's okay. Unfortunately for for Hogarth, he finds out that his mom has rented a room to the Fed. They had a room for Let, and he is now going to be breathing down Hogarth's neck because he knows something is up with Hogarth and that Hogarth knows something. So uh, then we get a series of scenes that show the power of the giant and the growing bond between the creature Hogarth and Dean. The giant takes Hogarth for a little spin in a car. Um, it's a convertible. He pretends it's a plane that he's flying and and the giant spins around really quickly. Um, Then the the three of them head to a lake for swimming where the giant causes a tsunami by doing a cannonball into the water. And then a walk in the woods where they spot a deer. It's in that last moment after, after some hunters shoot the deer that we get a glimpse of the true power of the iron giant who now, now has to contemplate life and death, heroes and villains, weapons of mass destruction, the fact that souls don't die. So he had just had this moment with a very live deer. The deer gets spooked, runs off. They hear a gunshot and they find the deer dead. And that that's upsetting. Um, and they talk about how guns kill. So it's very, very upsetting uh, to the giant and and he doesn't quite understand, I don't think. And at this point, you don't know how much he understands about himself as well. Meanwhile, the Fed has been doing some research and interrogates a minor without a parent present. Uh, so Hogarth gets home after spending the day with his robot friend and Dean. The um, Fed locks him in the barn, shines a light on him, and begins a very intense interrogation seems all sorts of against the law going as far as blackmailing the small child by threatening his mother in order to get the location of the alien creature and 
you know, he Hogarth does what a small child would do. He immediately says, you know, he's at the scrapyard. So the the next morning, um, so actually the Fed then locks Hogarth in his bedroom and he tries to get out. The Fed catches him. So then they do a staring contest all night long. Um, Hogarth does a really fun switcheroo in bed and is able to get out of the room without the Fed knowing uh, to go warn Dean and the Iron Giant that the the army and the government could be coming. So the next morning, the army shows up, raiding the scrapyard. The Fed, all hyped up, desperate for a win, only to find the giant dressed up as one of Dean's art projects. So this sets off the army general who chastises the Fed and insists he head back to Washington. He's had enough of this guy, wants him to go back. Hogarth is feeling pretty proud of himself and all seems good until the giant that he, they start playing again. The army's been gone like five minutes apparently. And they start playing again. Um, and Hogarth has a toy gun and he's playing, I don't know what kids play. It's not cops and robbers or, you know, soldier or I, I just whatever kids do. And he points a toy gun at the robot. Um, and the robot goes kind of goes kind of crazy he his eyes turn red and he kind of starts to shoot lasers um this terrifies dean uh and dean jumps in um the episode also startles the giant and dean calls him a weapon well guilt-stricken the giant runs off um he's just can't believe that he could have potentially hurt hogarth you can tell that he really loves the boy he doesn't know what to do about his feelings of being a weapon. He, he has this power within him. It almost kind of like he blacks out. He has no control over it. Um, so he, he runs away. Dean then sees the gun, the toy gun and realizes that, uh, the giant was only acting in defense of the gun, not being able to tell the difference between play and real. And so the giant's walking off. Dean then grabs Hogarth. They're going to go try to find the giant because he realizes the giant uh, would never intentionally hurt Hogarth. And as the giant's walking off, he hears a call from up. Again, he's really close to town. How nobody has seen him, I don't know. Um, but some kids do spot him at this time. They're standing on a roof looking for the alien giant. The news about his presence is spreading across town. And while they're looking at him, they kind of fall off the roof. That's <laughs> um, not it's not funny, but it kind of is it, stupid kids. So they start to fall off the roof and roof, and they're hanging on by a thread. The giant hears them calling for help, and he rushes to help them, catches them, lays them safely down in the street. Nobody in the town then seems afraid. They kind of see that hey, this giant creature who is large and a little intimidating is there to help. Um, that heroic gesture though has brought him out into the the open and again he is easily visible now and the army that had barely made it a couple of miles sees him uh and they immediately turn back and come back again not a lot of observations um i really like that the montage and the moments that they use to build character development and that relationship bond between hogarth and the giant i think it does a really 
amazing job, especially of talking about things like death and weapons and killing and good guys and bad guys in a very sweet way that is very good for kids. It's not overwhelming. Um, so as kids start to ask those questions, they could be asking the questions just as the giant does, which I really like. So the big moment of the movie, the climax of the movie is that the army immediately starts to set fire, set fires, and the giant runs off with Hogarth. He, they're firing at him with tanks. All of a sudden they have tanks. Uh, the giant freaks out and he does not turn crazy at the moment and runs off with Hogarth. Then the fed purposely misleads the general, encouraging him to call in an airstrike. The, the giant does his best to fight the urge to become a weapon, and he in turn is shot down. We, we find out that the giant can fly. He's flying around um, around the, the planes that are coming to attack him. They are firing at him, but he does get hit, and he starts to crash land into the forest. He does his best to protect Hogarth, but when he um, kind of comes to after hitting the ground, he sees Hogarth laying... He believes him to be dead, um, and that sets off that defensive mode. So he immediately turns in to the weapon, going postal on the army tanks. The Fed talks to the general then into aiming a missile directly at him. There is um, a naval ship off the coast, and they are going to lock in on the, the uh, giant's location, and they're going to shoot him with the missile. Hogarth, who is not dead, races towards his friend and pleads with him to stand down. He, his mother is screaming for him. Dean is screaming for him. He has run through where the army is at. He's begging him and begging him that it's wrong to kill, that guns kill. And he is not a gun. He gets to choose who he is. The iron giant kind of comes to his senses then, but the stupid fed, maybe one of the most vile villains in all of animated history. Really? This guy, every time I see this movie, he sets me off. He grabs the satellite phone walkie talkie thing from the general. And he tells whoever is on that naval ship to fire the missile. Uh, the fed then realizes his fatal, fatal flaw that the missile is targeting the giant specifically. And the giant is standing in the middle of town. So when that missile hits, the town is going to be obliterated and everybody's going to die. This, this fed, um, <laughs> I, I think back to all of, the villains that I, I talked about in the D Disney animated um, season and some of the villains that we've had this season as well. And for some reason, this guy really, really, really sets me off. Uh, there, there's been some pretty horrible villains out there. I mean, Gaston is a, a horrible villain. Um, but for some reason, I can get behind... Like, I can see where maybe he would get there, sort of. You know, a lot of villains, you can do that. And we talked about, you know, the idea that somebody could be an antagonist and not a villain. Well, this guy is just a villain. And, and it just, he bothers me. And he gets, he seems to get away from it with it, too, which is upsetting. He tries to flee then because he's a coward. Ugh. But that leads to, leads to our falling action and our conclusion. Um, so this missile is coming towards town and the giant knows what he has to do. He has to be the one to fix the situation. He has to sacrifice himself for the town, for the boy he loves. He has to stop the weapon and to be the hero. Uh, he, he wants to be Superman. He doesn't want to be the weapon. He wants to be Superman. So he flies into space, um, and stops the missile, which of course, um, he ends up 
getting blown up in the process. Pretty sad. That moment where Hogarth realizes what's he, what he's doing and you you know that the giant knows he's sacrificing himself just makes you cry every single time. Oh. So afterwards, Dean creates a statue of the giant to sit in the middle of town in remembrance of their friend, the, their hero. Uh, we now know that Dean and Hogarth's mother are in a relationship, which is very sweet. Um, Hogarth seems to have friends and he's happy, but he, he misses the giants. Um, very nicely, the general uh, sends Hogarth the only piece of the giant they had recovered, uh, which leads to quite the cliffhanger. Um, that there's this scene in the movie where the, the robot kind of comes apart. His limbs are no longer attached to him. And this beacon comes up on top of his head and he starts to get pieced back together. And it's when he is hiding out in Hogarth's barn um, and his hand actually gets stuck in Hogarth's house, which makes it a very interesting tense moment where the Fed has arrived to ask questions. It's right after the train incidents when the train hit him and he caused the accident he was all in pieces uh, so we watch this beacon call all of his parts together and he kind of rebuilds himself well after hogarth gets this piece from the general it starts to blink um, and move and then once let out of the window and hogarth just says you know i'll see you soon because he knows that his friend is still out there which is really really sweet and that's the end. This sweet little movie comes to an end. The Iron Giant not dead and infuriatingly leaving the watcher wondering what ever happened to the terrible, horrible, no good, very bad fed. Did he get his comeuppance? Um, I think there, sh there had to have been something horrible done to him, right? Because he grabbed he grabbed the, the walkie-talkie thing from the general and called an a missile strike almost destroying an entire town but you don't you don't get to hear what happens to him i kind of wish that was in there because everybody should know what happened to the villain so uh life lessons well i think it just kind of goes without saying that uh the idea that we get to choose we get to choose who we are going to be um whether we're going to do good in the world we're going to be the hero and a hero doesn't have to be doing anything sacrificial or big but putting light and goodness into the world versus a weapon something that tears others down and causes harm um and i think this movie does a beautiful job of showing that and and talking about you know, life and death and the soul, just kind of big concepts for kids that it does in a very careful, compassionate way, which I absolutely love. Character recasting? No, don't touch any of them. I mean, Harry Connick Jr. as Dean, perfect. Jennifer Aniston was fine as Hogarth's mother. I mean, it was cool. Shooter McGavin as the Fed, brilliant. The general is played by um, Frazier's dad. <laughs> I've got, you know, I've got all the, the real names here. Um, just, I, I think the voice acting was spectacular. I don't think there was anything to change when it comes to voice acting. Does this or did this need a sequel? Yeah, I think it does. And isn't it one coming out? I think one is coming out. You, you want to know if the robot gets put to back together, if Hogarth ever meets his friend again, what happens with the robot who's pieces are still on earth somewhere apparently. Um, so I would love a sequel for this one. Rewatchability. This is one because it makes me sad. I don't watch often. If I do want to be sad, which don't we always have the all have those moments where you put in the sad 
movies specifically to make you cry because you need a good cry. Same with books or songs. Um, so this is not like one where I'm like, hey, I'm in the mood for the Iron Giant because it's happy. Uh, but it it is one that I like to return to from time to time because I think the storytelling is fantastic. It is such a quick movie. And for the story to be so well-developed and the characters so well-developed in that short amount of time, I think is brilliant. It would have been great to have more time between Hogarth and the giant, um, but it was lean. The movie was lean, and I think it needed to be because you add too much more than you get bored, and you give the Fed too much time to do stuff, and he did not need any more time to do anything. But what did you think of the Iron Giant? Is it one of your favorites? Does it make you cry like it makes me cry every single time? Um, Where does it rank on your favorites and then on the animated scale? Uh, This is probably close to the top for me. Um, Not the very top, but when it comes to storytelling and just the sweetness of the story, it's up there. It is definitely up there. But that's it for today. Thank you so much for listening. Really, it is so appreciated. If you haven't already, I hope you subscribe so we can keep going on this journey together. And if you've got the time, rating and reviewing the podcast would be wonderful. For those of you that do listen regularly, thank you so much. I appreciate you so much. I have so much fun doing this. um, And I just... The fact that anybody listens, I think, is just absolutely amazing. Uh, I'm doing it mostly for me, but to know that there are people out there that don't mind listening to me talk for a half hour, 45 minutes, a couple times a week is just very humbling and endearing. So thank you so very, very much. If you would like to follow me on Instagram and Twitter, you can do that at, at GnomeGirlM and on Facebook is a bit of fun with Emily. Go have yourself a bit of fun today. And I will see you next time.